0: Oh man, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? That is Micah 5-8. I am your host, Sandra Flack. My voice is getting a little bit better. If you're a regular listener, you may think when you listen to these episodes in order that it's going back and forth, but I've had to cancel some recordings and reschedule them because there were a few days where I had no voice at all. Um, So making progress. Um, So just bear with me throughout the month of May, guys, Um, having a really hard time with these allergies here in upstate New York. Um, But I am grateful to have you with us today. Uh, Again, this month, we are focusing on foster care for Foster Care Awareness Month, and we have several amazing guests lined up for you. Uh, In fact, the next couple of episodes, this episode and the very next one, we are going to take a close but hard look at the intersection between foster care and human trafficking. Uh, We're going to be speaking uh, with a woman today who runs a nonprofit, um, and then also uh, next week, we are going to speak with an amazing woman. It's a, it's a beauty from ashes story. Um, she was in foster care, uh, trafficked, uh, really difficult story, but um, you know, the Lord redeems and brings beauty for ashes. So she's going to be sharing her story. Uh, so we're going to be talking about some tough stuff, but we hope to inspire you and encourage you as caregivers to even better support the kids in your care. But before we get to our first guest, please check out some announcements.
1: Natalie Vecchione of the FASD Hope Podcast and Sandra Flack of the Adoption and Foster Care Journey Podcast would like to invite you to join their Hope for the FASD Journey, a virtual support community for parents and caregivers raising individuals with an FASD, diagnosed or not. This faith-based community includes an online bi-monthly support group, a monthly VIP conversation, and a private Facebook group which includes a video devotional from Natalie and Sandra every Saturday. To register, visit justicefororphansny.org forward slash training forward slash F-A-S-D.
0: And I've got some online workshops coming up. Um, On Wednesday, May 24th at 7 p.m. Eastern, I am leading a three-hour deep dive into FASD, fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. Uh, Great training if you suspect uh, the children in your home may have been prenatally exposed to drugs or alcohol um, or whether you are, whether you know or not that that's the case, if you're an adoptive foster or kinship caregiver, highly likely that you're going to be caring for a kiddo who was prenatally exposed. So this training, um, vital, just like trauma training is so important, um, so is FASD training. So we have a three-hour course on FASD coming up, also coming up in June Um Beginning Thursday, June 1st at 7 p.m. Eastern, we are kicking off a six-week deep dive into FASD. It's 18 hours worth of content, six weeks, six three-hour sessions using the FACETS neural behavioral model. Um, And this is great, especially for caregivers, but as well as for professionals in the space. We offer certificates of completion for all of our workshops, and if you're a social worker, licensed in New York State, we now offer CEUs as well. To learn more about all of the trainings that we have available, um, and to learn about what's on the schedule right now that you could sign up for, you can go to our website, justicefororphansny.org, click the training button at the top of the page, you'll see where it says FASD in the dropdown, and you can go check, out, check it all out, check out all of those resources, and of course, we will include a link to our website in the show notes for this episode to make it easy. Also, please, please, please subscribe to this podcast if you have not done so already. Um, We don't want you to miss a single episode, and we also want to make it super easy for other adoptive foster and kinship caregivers to find this show so that they can be encouraged and equipped too. Okay, so now today to our guest, we have with us Miriam Cobb the founder of Empty Frames Initiative. Uh, It's an initiative inspired and driven by the heart of the father. Their goal is to empower orphaned and vulnerable youth as they transition out of state care by providing training in life skills, counseling, community, and to access the gospel. Please welcome Miriam Cobb. Hi, Miriam. How are you Hi, today? Sandra? I'm very good. Do well, how are you? So it is wonderful to have you on the show as we uh, talk about this uh, intersection between human trafficking and the foster care system. Um, I'm just so thrilled to learn all that you are doing through Empty Frames Initiative. Um, I just really believe that it's something that we really need to shine the light on. Um, uh, I know you're not a foster parent. You are the uh, founder of Empty Frames Initiative. Um, and I really am anxious and interested in hearing from you today as to why you're so passionate about um Youth and foster care, um and and doing what you're the work that you're doing, yeah, thank you for having me. we're so excited to be sharing
1: with you guys today. and and um, for that question, I there's a lot of different ways that I can try to answer it. I always come back to just saying God though. um he put a lot of circumstances into my life to bring me here. but one that sticks out is when I read this book called Choosing to See" by Mary Beth Chapman. it's her memoir, and it kind of talks about, just her life up until that point, up until some some serious loss that her family experienced. But it briefly talks about her adoption of three little girls from China as well. And through that book, through that one brief testimony, God really laid the, the concept of orphan care and adoption on my heart. And it's just been a series of saying yes since then. And like you mentioned, I'm not <laughs> I'm not a foster parent. I'm not an adoptive mom. I um, I'm not married. It's not I'm not in a place in my life for those types of things right now, but God kept laying orphan care and adoption on my heart. And um, yeah, it's, it's led here. It's led to empty frames initiative and he's provided for it. So I'm, I'm really grateful to be here.
0: I love that. I love how, you know, God uses those things to inspire us. I remember reading Mary Beth Chapman's book, mm. also very inspirational. I was already an adoptive mom at the time, but uh, you know, I, I, the Lord led us into adoption, and then I went to a conference about adoption and foster care, and that led to us establishing the organization that I started. So. Wow you know, he uses different people and different things. um, And and then we just have to step into it by putting our yes on the table. um, And he does the rest. So, so exciting that you just walked that out in obedience. So tell us tell us about empty frames initiative. Yeah, so empty frames initiative is a nonprofit that looks to empower
1: orphan and vulnerable youth as they transition out of state care. So here in the U.S., that looks like working with youth as they transition out of the foster care system that normally takes place between the ages of 18 and 21. Um, We started in 2015, and we're working towards launching a short-term residential program that would kind of provide a space between leaving a foster home and entering into some longer-term care facilities or college if they're open to it, because there's a lot of states that provide for that. Um, On our journey towards that residential program, we've done a lot of smaller work, Um, we've partnered with organizations, we've done a lot of educational opportunities, um, and we've been working on what we call storytelling through photography, which is the one part of our curriculum that's kind of exclusively ours, and we work with people to tell their stories in a way that is empowering to them through uh, basically a photography-based literacy course. In the midst of all of that, we've been doing conferences and and working with people in the different intersections, such as human trafficking, um, homelessness, and um, incarceration, just some other places where the foster care system and aging
0: out intersects with other needs. So tell us about the first book, because you did publish, you have one published book. Yes. Volume one. Tell us about that. Yeah. So the story of foster care volume one is... The written
1: experiences of seven individuals who have lived experience with the foster care system. So we have three former foster youth who contributed, two foster parents, and two social workers who all kind of came together. They piloted our curriculum. They were excellent. We we worked with people who had already had experience telling their stories to kind of put a buffer between some of the um some of the things we hadn't yet tried out with the program. We realized after doing it with people that's like, okay, we will need a counselor on site. We will need some of these other pieces in play. So they were our um, wonderful kind of guinea pigs to this project. Um, and it came together to tell a really beautiful narrative that weaves all of their stories together in as much of a linear way as we can, because I think everyone listening, all of your foster parents know, it's like, it is not there's no normal, there's no normal timeline. It doesn't always happen the way that it's supposed to. And everyone's experiences within it will be different. But there are a few consistent things that are kind of um, outlined in this first book that just, again, it's the general narrative of um, the foster care community as told from multiple
0: perspectives. Yeah, I love that. And is the book available? Like, where could our listeners... Yeah, get a copy. Yeah, they can get it um, through Amazon. They can get it through Barnes and Noble,
1: and it's available for booksellers as well. So if they wanted to order it through their um, through their local bookstore, they can just ask them to or- order a copy because it's
0: accessible to them, and it's the story of foster care, Volume One. So. Wonderful. So now, your second book that you're in process of of releasing, you're really focusing on foster care and the intersection with human trafficking. So would you share with us about the vulnerability, first of all, of foster youth in becoming victims of human trafficking? Because I have heard that that they're vulnerable to being trafficked, but I don't really know this the the statistics, the data on yeah. that. So could could you share with Yeah, that with absolutely. Us? So we've been doing this for um a little
1: while now. There was just a space needed for the talk about the intersection. Um, And what I like to start by doing is providing the legal definition of what human trafficking is, because like you said, we all hear things. um, It's really becoming more of a common topic. And at the same time, there's so much misinformation that we're kind of um, exposed to along the way. So there's a legal definition for human trafficking, and it is defined as the use of force, fraud, or coercion to compel a person into commercial sets, acts, or labor against their will. So it's essentially selling another person for gain. It's a horrible crime, and it happens every day in the U.S., in every state, and in our local communities. Um, When we talk about the vulnerability and the intersection of foster care, people know, like you said, it's like, I hear it. I don't know to what extent. And so we like to highlight um, the U.S. government has – estimated that 50 to 80% of minors who are removed from human trafficking situations have already had some involvement um, with the foster care system or child protective services. There are certain places where the numbers will come back a little bit lower. I've, the lowest I've ever seen though, is still 30%. The highest I've ever seen is 90%. Um, so so this estimate that the government has kind of put together I think is pretty accurate. Um, and to kind of understand why youth and foster care are vulnerable, we kind of want to hit the, the key vulnerabilities that have been defined by human trafficking organizations. So um, a big player in this field is Polaris Project, and they provide a lot of information. And what they define as the most common vulnerabilities for human trafficking, and this is specific to um, sex trafficking, is having unstable living situations, having a history of domestic violence having a caregiver or family member who has substance abuse issues, being a runaway, um, immigration status, undocumented immigrants, um, facing poverty or economic need, having a history of sexual abuse or any type of addiction. So when you hear that as a foster parent or someone in this field, you're like, wait a minute, those are all vulnerabilities that are really common. And we like to kind of talk about This isn't just while they're in foster care, it's before foster care, it's during foster care, and it's after that these youth are really vulnerable because foster care in and of itself is meant to address vulnerabilities. So um, before care, all of these things that we mentioned about caregiver dynamics um, can lead to vulnerability to, to human trafficking. Sometimes it's because people in their community will see that they are not having their needs met and traffickers will exploit the fact that they don't know where to go. They don't have safety. They don't have provision. Right. The other side of it is familial trafficking, which is really unfortunate, but it does happen in the U S where a family member is the one selling, um, a child. And so that those are some of the common ways that can happen before time and care when they're in care. I, I really want to highlight the, um, unstable living situation component. And there's a lot of reasons why that makes somebody vulnerable. But for youth in foster care, something that I just think is a huge red flag is having people who don't know what they're they're normally like. They don't know what to expect from a child. They don't know kind of these things we tell parents to look for, these different like changes in behavior. People won't be able to recognize that a lot in foster care just because of the constant transition. And the trauma that's experienced just by entering the system. So these things that are like, that's a trauma response. Um, they're already going to be present. And if somebody doesn't know the child well enough, they're going to have a much harder time recognizing, hey, maybe there's something more happening. And so there has to be more vil- more diligence to be aware, right? Um, while in care, unfortunately, there's also just a vulnerability of being labeled as a foster youth. It's really it's really unfortunate, but I we've seen that traffickers recognize that that's people that are going to be needing more um, help and they exploit that. It's like, you don't have this need met. I can provide that. And there's a lot of um, trickery in pulling them into, into human trafficking. Um, And then when they leave, for us when we're working with youth who are aging out of the foster care system there's the the really high risk of becoming immediately homeless that will lead to trafficking there immediately upon becoming homeless reports have shown that they are approached by traffickers it's just it's just so quickly that it'll happen within the first couple of days of being on the street um and again the vulnerability itself of not having the needs met make you vulnerable to somebody who claims to be able to meet them. And it might not be physical needs. It might be relational. It might be, um, it, it might just be something that you're looking for somebody to talk to. And traffickers kind of prey on those things and say, I can provide that if you give me this.
0: And that's what happens. So Yeah, I know. It makes me think of um, four of my children were adopted from Eastern Europe,
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, from Ukraine specifically. And um, so we, I have a lot of information and knowledge about what goes on there because school-age children are in the orphanage. They didn't have a foster care system, right? Um, so they had, they were still operating under the orphanage system, and so they could go to school while they were at the orphanage, but then once they would quote unquote graduate from school, they graduate from the orphanage essentially, kind of like a youth in foster care. Government is done taking care of you, you're now of age and you're kind of out the door. Some go on to trade school, but very few because a lot of them have that mindset that they just wanna have their freedom, Mm -hmm. they wanna do their own thing, they don't wanna be told what to do, so they don't wanna go to trade school. But it makes them very vulnerable to the same thing. Now yeah. what? Um, and these kiddos, very similar to kiddos in foster care, I would assume, you know, they're out on the street. They don't have a really a place to go because that's why they were either in care to begin right. with, right? right? They don't have family. They don't have job skills. They don't really have, you know, they're not headed to college. There's not really education. Um, so they all are very vulnerable. And especially I find with girls – They want to be loved. They want to, you know, be cared for and taken care of. And that's what traffickers would prey on. So I know in Ukraine, it would seem like, you know, when it came to be that time of the year when kids were graduating out of the orphanage, the traffickers would be like lined up. Um, you know, ready to prey upon these vulnerable kids, especially the girls, because they would need a job, they would need a place to live, they wanted a boyfriend, that kind of thing. So to me, it seems very similar, kids aging out of care, you know, they've come from trauma, they've come from, you know, very difficult, adverse, you know, childhood experiences, they don't want to be told what to do, they want to be on their own. Um, So but yet, they need a place to live, they need a job, they want, to, you know, they want love. Yeah. So that really sets them up and makes them vulnerable for traffickers to kind of come in and coerce them into that lifestyle.
1: Yeah, it's interesting that you say that because I um, I served in Latvia, also in Eastern Europe, um for a couple of months. And when I when we were starting empty frames initiative, we were seeing those same those same statistics, Eastern Europe has some as far, like, even as far back as I want to say 2012, they had already done a lot of research into the to the vulnerabilities with trafficking. And I saw those same numbers about, you know, people waiting outside, people being outside the orphanage. And I, it was part of what made me think, you know, not like how imperative it was to do this in Eastern Europe right away. And as we were sharing with people here is actually the anti-trafficking community that was like, hey, just so you know, that's also happening here in the U.S., and as we've done research and as we've talked with people, um, we we've found that group homes have similar situations, not not the way that it looks, where it's like as soon as they leave. But here in the U.S., the group homes they don't have the, this is this is for good reasons. They don't have the ability to like force a kid to stay in the in the facility, right? Like that's that's a trauma informed safety measure that they use. That they're not going to force a child to stay in a building, right? But it's sometimes they're going to have kids who will walk outside or who will go past the gate. And we've seen trafficking happen in those circumstances because again, there's this big building labeled full of children who don't have supervision. And that's what kind of like, there's, there's vulnerabilities that we see and and traffickers see them as well. And so it's, it's a, a really difficult situation.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And thinking about vulnerabilities along with that, you know, we know that a lot of these kiddos come through, you know, Adverse childhood experiences, trauma, that makes them vulnerable. Um, I do a lot of work within the FASD community, fetal alcohol spectrum disorders. Um, Two of my children adopted from Eastern Europe are diagnosed with fetal alcohol syndrome. Um, It is also a very disproportionate number of of kids in foster care, also prenatally exposed, which impacts the brain, brain development, Behavior um, and a lot of times these kids are very vulnerable. They are they're gullible. Um, they are very we call it dismaturity. They 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 really operate much younger than their age. Um, they have a hard time making wise decisions. They're very gullible. Um, just really could be easily trafficked. So I know we weren't planning on a con- uh, having a con- that this part of the conversation, but to me it makes me think about. You know, I could I could see where a youth, you know, a kid prenatally exposed who a sense has a brain injury, a brain based condition um, with a lot of challenges could also be um, especially at risk because they just don't understand how vulnerable they really are and would believe whatever anybody would tell them oftentimes. So very impressionable young people. So, um, you know that's also very concerning. It is, um, so. and I, and I think it's a, it's a really good point
1: that there's, especially it's like any kind of trauma will automatically have some impact on brain development, and then you add FASD and you add the foster care system, and all of a sudden you're seeing things. And I will say, for the foster care community that I've met, um, we've met some really incredible, resilient youth and adults who have made. The circumstances they were given work and that's one of the things that it's like it's hard to have a conversation about because it's it's not it's in no way their fault you know none of these things right. were choices that they made none of these things were um elements that they had control over their parents right um using their being placed in the foster care system whatever happened to them while they were in the system or aging out there's no control there but there is right. the opportunity for control when they leave. And sometimes that's what makes it a little bit harder because all of a sudden, this is the first time that I've really been given the chance to to make my own decision to do this on my own and um, somebody. And unfortunately it's like, it, it, this is why, this is where we come in, right? This is where we're supposed to be the church and present and be there so that they have somebody yeah. else. But if somebody comes along and this is again, like you said, traffickers see this vulnerability, if, if they're making their own decisions and there's somebody there for the first time, it's like, I support that decision and walking alongside them, even in a manipulative way, it still yeah. seems right. It still seems better than everything else that's been unfortunately before. So it's, there's a lot to it. That, and it's, I think important to just have a lot of um grace around the, around the idea of, people who have never had the opportunity to choose circumstances for themselves all of a sudden being given so much opportunity so and it kind of yeah
0: and they're so vulnerable to being groomed and not recognize that that's what's going on yeah you know so it's, it's, it's a very scary place to be and makes me think how you know even more vital really good foster parents yes Can play, you know, the need for very good foster parents, the need for the church to step into this place because, you know, kids, kids coming through, there's a lot of trauma. We all know foster care is hard. It's, it's messy. It's not easy, especially when you've got teens and then they're approaching, you know, where, where they could age out, um, you know, and then to just, you know, we never want to see a kid out on the street, um, whether they got adopted, you know, or not. So, um. We really need to to recognize how vulnerable they are um, and how important it is for us to stick with them, even when it's hard and even when it's messy, because there are, are unfortunately, people out there who are ready to prey upon these kiddos. So, um, you know, we can make a difference there. So you're working on another book, Volume 2, which does focus on the human human trafficking survivors. So tell us about this book project.
1: Yeah, I'm really excited about it. Just like the first one, we got to have a collaborative of people all working together to tell the story. Um, this time we have four former foster youth who also experienced um, human trafficking. So they are survivors and former foster youth. We have a couple of um, human trafficking organization experts who are weighing in as well and we have some social workers and foster parents again so it's going to be a really um a really interesting collection of stories we are going to kind of follow the same approach where we try to put it into a linear narrative it's 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 a little more difficult (laughs) because again we've added this weird this 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 weird element, but it's so important, and we're excited to kind of bring this to people. I think it's going to p- create a lot of clarity around some things that um we have assumptions, and all of a sudden we're going to kind of have those assumptions addressed. And it's there the artists and authors have all been amazing. I'm really excited for people to read it,
0: yeah. I'm super excited, too, because I had the privilege of interviewing one of the yeah. former Foster youth. <laughs> who's a survivor of trafficking, her story, we will feature next week on this podcast. Um, so just incredible, incredible stories. Uh, when will the what's the title of the book again? And when will it be available?
1: Yes, so this book will be titled The Story of Foster Care Volume 2. And it should be available this summer. I, as specific as
0: I can get. But this summer. <laughs> I know how that goes. It's it's a work in progress for sure. Yes. Do you have a website for your organization?
1: Yes. They can find us at fillingemptyframes.org.
0: Wonderful. So I will put a link in the show notes. Uh, for this episode and for next week's episode with Kalila um, in the, in the show notes. So that way anybody who wants to learn more about empty frames initiative can go to your website um, and learn more because you're doing awesome. incredible work, incredible work. Love it. Um, like I said, so excited that we're going to be able to speak with Kalila next week. Um, she is featured in the book. She has an incredible, Beauty from Ashes story. And I can't wait for our listeners to hear from her. Um, and, but Miriam, many of our listeners are foster parents, adoptive parents. Um, so as we wrap up, would you share some encouraging words? Like, What would you like to say um, that would encourage a foster parent, adoptive parent? Wow. Yeah. Um, I want to start.
1: I, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for being open to this conversation. Thank you for listening all the way through. Thank you for taking the time to explore something that's really difficult. Um, and I know that you guys know, and I'll just say it again, you're doing amazing, incredible work. You're a part of Kingdom Business in this. You are you are involved in what you're supposed to be involved in, and it's important. Um, not everybody that we've spoken to has been open to this conversation, And the fact that you are really shows me, and it shows our the people that we're working with that you care about this beyond um, yourself. You care about it beyond um, the easy narrative. So I appreciate your time and appreciate what you're doing, and it's worth it. You're making you you being present with the youth in your care is the first prevention for anything like this. So what you're doing is important, Mm. and it matters. And don't
0: thank you for doing that. Wow, I love that. Yeah, the first first uh, step in prevention, right? Providing stability and a home yeah. for foster youth um, can really be life-changing and life-saving for them. So I love those words. Thank you so much, Miriam, for all that you're doing. Um, on behalf of foster youth, um, on, on behalf of, of those who um, have been rescued from trafficking, bringing awareness to this very important topic, um, just really appreciate all the work you're doing. And thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks, Sandra. It was great to be here. So excited. Thanks. Thank you. Wow. What amazing work. Um, serious stuff. But I love what Miriam said about foster parents adoptive parents, I think even kinship caregivers, we are doing kingdom business. And kingdom business is not easy. It is messy. Just like Jesus stepped into humanity, he stepped into our mess, right, to save us. Um, And I'm not saying we're saviors. Please don't think I'm saying that. I'm not. But when God calls us to this space, he doesn't call us into caring for vulnerable children because it's easy or fun or you know some kind of big reward thing going on, right? It is the heart of God to care for the least, the lost, and the lonely. And vulnerable children are definitely in that category. We know that, you know Jesus talked about the least of these, right? These are who we are called to. Um, and these are the kiddos who have trauma histories. Adverse childhood experience, prenatal exposure. This is not an easy work, but this is kingdom work because our caring for these kiddos may very well be what makes the difference in their life that that leads them to a safe future, a hope in a future, as opposed to running away, being groomed, being trafficked, and really succumbing to human trafficking and all of that the horrors that go along with that that can take years to escape from. And 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 next week when you hear Khalila's story, years of being in that lifestyle where you don't even know that it's not normal because it's all you've ever known. And trauma upon trauma upon trauma and you're just out there surviving not even realizing there's better out there. And yes, the Lord can save and he did Khalila, but the trauma that these kiddos can go through. And if if a, a a hard parenting day for us, you know, is what we have to tolerate here and there that really will make a difference in the lives of these kiddos, we need every child deserves a safe loving family whether their biological family can be stabilized and be that or whether it's a kinship placement or whether it's a foster or eventually an adoptive placement that, that that's really the meaning behind our organization our organization JFO justice for orphans because according to Psalm 10:17 and 18 justice for orphans and the oppressed right safe loving family so that they can have a hope and a future. And again, you know, our our hardest days, you know, some of my kiddos, I know, especially, uh, uh, you know, we adopted four kids from Ukraine. And having been there, having worked with missionaries over there, traveled there multiple times, knowing the statistics, I know That if my kiddos would have remained in Ukraine, had we not adopted them, at least one of them would have been absolutely trafficked into the sex trade. But the, you know, the others could have, you know, most likely this statistically would have been gangs. Um, My youngest two probably would have not made it even into those scenarios, but because they had disabilities, they would have gone into adult mental institutions and would have lived... Horrific nightmare and died at a very young age. So, you know, I, I keep these things in mind when I'm having a really hard day with my kiddos. And, you know, I think, you know, I don't know if I, I and honestly, I don't even know if I've ever actually thought I don't think I can keep doing this because. We stepped into this knowing that God called us into it. So I never thought about that he would call us out of it because I knew he wouldn't do that. We're in, we're all in. But on my hardest days when I'm like, you know, having a hard time surviving and not even sure if we're gonna make it through, I remember what statistically the outcome would have been had we not said yes. And my hard days, you know, a million hard days is worth them not having to have nightmarish outcomes, which is what human trafficking would be. So we have to remember that. This is kingdom work. Thank you for caring for the kiddos in your care, whether they came through foster care, whether you're caring for a relative child through kinship, a kinship placement, whether you adopted domestically, privately, internationally through foster care, however your kiddos came into your home, thank you number one number two remember it's kingdom work and jesus didn't say that we were going to have easy street right he said there will be trials and tribulations but i have overcome the world so we need to go to him for that relief that support that encouragement that help to get our batteries recharged so we can get up again tomorrow morning and keep doing this because what we do does matter. It makes an eternal difference. It makes a kingdom difference. And it makes a difference in the lives of the children that we are caring for, even when they don't appreciate it, when they don't care, when they'd rather be anywhere but at our home. If we are faithfully, lovingly, supporting and encouraging and praying for them, and we are trauma-informed, and we're working on connection, and we are FASD-informed, and we are working on supports and accommodations and pouring all into this calling that we have, it will make a difference. I have a 33-year-old daughter who came to us at eight years old, and she was a kinship placement. We had no foster parenting classes. We didn't know, I say this all the time, you know, on the show, we didn't know what we didn't know. We didn't know about trauma. We didn't know about adverse childhood experiences. We didn't know about FASD. We didn't like even know we needed to know anything about any of that. I didn't even take a book out or buy a book that had to do with adoption or anything. It was not on our radar. You know, we said yes, because she needed a family we were related, and we were a family, and we thought we knew what we were doing. And we made every mistake in the book, right, for years. And it was difficult, and it was hard, and it was frustrating. And sometimes my favorite time of day was bedtime, so I could get a break. And, you know, teenage years were difficult. And then when she moved out at 19, I didn't want her to go, but I didn't want her to stay. And it was hard. And it was a relief that she was gone. And she struggled all throughout her 20s. Right. But then as I began to become trauma informed, and learn some things from, you know, the, the amazing, late, great Dr. Karen Purvis, learned about connective parenting, TBRI, And started realizing I could apply some of this stuff, even though she's a young adult, no longer living home. And I started applying that stuff. And then even as I learned more about prenatal exposure, right, and the symptoms of that. And just, you know, even though she was no longer in our home, applying those approaches, giving yeses, being available, being positive and encouraging and loving and just things that I never knew to do before not that I didn't love her before but when it was hard right and you're and you spend more time correcting and disciplining and consequencing I don't know if consequencing is a word but you know what I mean it was hard right but today at 33 years old she and I she's the 33 year old one I'm I'm significantly older but we have the best relationship we've ever had and she will say that you know, we did make a difference in her life. And we're you know, we're close now and and it it did make a difference. But for decades, it was hard, right? It was hard. But now it is so good and redeeming. And it's another beauty from Ash's story. But we still have to do the hard, folks, right? So, thank you for sticking through this episode. Um, I pray that you will listen next week when I interview Kalila. Um, she has a very hard story, and I do start that episode with a disclaimer. You're not going to want to listen to it with young children around because from a very early age, she suffered horrific abuse and trauma, and the system failed her on more than one occasion, and she was trafficked, um, and she tells her whole story, and you know, it there's a story of rege- redemption wound through it, um, and and we get to that by the end of uh, the, by the end of the interview. But it's hard. But her, but Kalila is featured in the book that Miriam was just talking about that will release this summer. Um, so I hope that you will check out Volume One, um, and uh, uh, of the story of foster care, Volume One, and then um, be on the lookout for Volume Two, which is going to feature human trafficking survivors who'd been in foster care. And um, it's just a very important topic for us to pay attention to um, because without supportive people in their lives championing, you know, for them, without really good foster parents and adoptive parents, it you know, the statistically, youth aging out of foster care, extremely vulnerable. I think I, I'm pretty sure Miriam said it's like, 30 to 50 or 50 to 90 percent of those kiddos rescued from human trafficking in the United States have spent time in foster care. This is an important conversation and our work, our role as parents and caregivers, vitally, vitally important. So stay tuned for next week um, and thank you for sticking with us today for this episode of the Adoption and Foster Care Journey. I hope you were inspired i hope you were encouraged Um, we are are truly parts of beauty from ashes stories and thank you for what you do again Um, in addition to inspiring you we like to equip you for your parenting journey again if you'd like to learn more about fasd take some classes be part of a support group learn how to better accommodate your kiddos Go to our website, justicefororphansny.org. Click on training. There are several trainings available from free lunch and learns to three-hour to 18-hour content, deep dive sessions. Go to our website. Check out all of that that's available there so that you can get equipped for your parenting journey. Uh, And remember, we have our support group. um, So check it all out there. If you enjoyed the show, please be sure to subscribe and let your fellow foster and adoptive friends know. Um, And find and follow us on Facebook and Instagram, at Justice for Orphans. I am on both platforms myself, Sandra Flack. Look for me there. And again, grateful that you spent your valuable time with me today. I am thrilled to have you along for the journey. Thank you for listening to this episode of the adoption and foster care journey podcast brought to you by justice for orphans. We hope you were encouraged today. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast and leave a review and share it with your fellow foster and adoptive parent friends. So they can be encouraged too. be sure to find and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at justice for orphans. And check out our website for vital resources at justicefororphansny.org.